Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Your usual crew here, J.J. Cooper alongside John Manuel. And we're going to talk AL Central prospects today. Top 10s uh, for our second to last uh, group of prospects. But at the same time, I'll, I'll be honest to give you a little foreshadowing here. Not the most ingre- impressive groups of prospects that we have. This is not one through five. If, but- we, if we ranked the divisions, if we did the uh, pro- top ten podcasts and presented them in magazines in order of best top tens to worst, this would rank sixth. They would have been last. So we're going to talk about that. Before we do, though, I do want to remind you that before long, I mean, it's coming soon. One of these days, a truck's going to pull up here at the Baseball America offices, and we're going to have prospect handbooks here. I was told that that date specifically, let me double-check my uh, computer matrix here. I was going to say, I don't know. Our boss usually does not like us giving out the exact date because you never know. Yeah, he's not on this podcast. I was told that that date is January 23rd. So, uh, if not the 23rd and the 24th, but the bottom line is, the handbooks I can say with 100% confidence will ship before the end of the month. So really, it, it's very. If you likely, haven't ordered yours yet, order it now. If you order it from us, you get it first for one thing because it doesn't get to the bookstores for a while longer. That's the important part. If you have a February fantasy draft, which I think a lot of people do, you want to have you want to order the book from us. And not only that, you also do get you get the 31st prospect. So we do a little supplement that you get an additional prospect for every uh, for every team as well. It's one louder than our regular handbook. So so there's a lot there are a lot of reasons to order it through baseballamerica.com. If you want to do that, just go to www.baseballamerica.com/store and you can get you set right up. We're still working right now in the directory. Got the super register coming down the road too. The almanac's already here. If you haven't gotten your almanac, you can order that right now and and we'll ship it out to your right away and the college uh, college preview is in full effect as well uh, uh eagerly awaiting the re-arrival in the office of aaron fit uh he'll be here for a couple of weeks as we uh, crank out the college preview issue the small college preview just about ready for you to post jj i'll be ready for you to post next week so it'll be coming, done today so. coming soon I'm, I'm excited about the small colleges i gotta be honest with you not a big year for a little draft teaser not a big year in the junior college ranks this year for 2012 which is another example of the weakness of the college crop. Uh, it's not a great college crop, but I will say our top 100 has got more uh, Division II and NAIA jokers on it than it usually does. So there's a little bit uh, – I'm, I'm actually intrigued. I'm fairly intrigued by the Division II talent this year. I, I would, I, I'm going to put you on the spot here, but I don't worry about doing it because you'll have uh, an answer okay. to this. Best small college, non-JUCO, small D2, D3, NAIA, you know, just who are the couple of the best guys who did come out of the draft in the last 
you know, I'm not going to go back to Billy Wagner and Ferrum College and all, but in the last ten. Well, that's that. That is that's a very tough question. I really don't know. The most significant big leaguer last year who was out of a small college, uh, not counting junior college, because I really most of the junior college guys. Uh, yeah, I, I, for some for whatever reason, I'm not going to count them. That, that's their that's, different. That's, that's different. That's different. Because you had draft and follows, and I mean, obviously, yeah, junior, if that, Bryce Harper was a junior do, college draft. So. You can do yeah. Junior college is a different to me. And Tommy Tommy Hanson is an example of that. He was a junior college. He was a draft and follow. But he wasn't a huge deal out of high school. Guys knew about him, but he was all projection out of high school. Was throwing in the mid eighties, maybe scraping the upper eighties. Obviously, throws a lot harder now. But you know, for whatever reason, I, I date myself. Ryan Vogelsong was the most significant to me. Division two, II, Division three NAIA story in the major leagues last year. When I say something different, you can go to junior colleges for a lot of different reasons. Going to junior college, though, does not mean that you've been essentially overlooked by everyone. Right, right. If you're at a D2 or a D3 school... Correct. I think it's different. That is, you were... No one saw what you ended up seeing in you. Yeah, no, I agree. So, I mean, like, Vogelsong is a guy who went to Kutztown, Pennsylvania, but he was drafted, what, 1999, 98, right. something like that. I remember writing about him as a Giants prospect. That's been I haven't done a Giants top 10 list or top 30 since... You know, 2003, 2004, so somewhere, somewhere in there. Well, maybe even later because Marcus Sanders was involved in one of them. So, um, but, but yeah, I mean, Vogelsong is a great example of a and, D2 and, guy who was actually drafted fairly high. He was a fifth round draft pick. And I really do think of almost D2 and D3 as also being different than NAIA because, yes, like they are saying that you know a, a guy went to Lewis and Clark State. That's that's a different. That does not necessarily again. NAIA schools, you are overlooked somewhat, right. but there also are different reasons that guys go to NAIA schools. Right. Here's D3, a good D3. If you're going to D3, you're... Here's a good D3 guy, Charlie Furbush. Now, people think of him as an LSU guy, and he was drafted out of LSU. But Charlie Furbush made his name at, I believe it's St. Joseph's, is the name of the college up in... Uh, it's not St. Joseph. I forget what college he went to up in Maine. And he was the Division Three Pitcher of the Year as a sophomore, and then he was very good in the Cape Cod League. And they transferred. He got looted, basically, by I got LSU. A, uh, Chris Heisey, I think, was also. Would I think he's out of that same Pennsylvania conference that uh, produced Ryan Vogelsong. That's a good one. Chris Heisey's a good one. Um, and I'd still say Vogelsong, probably the best year of those right. guys. Heisey did have um, 18 home runs, though. So he was at least. He, he did. Vogelsong was the best. But he did. Heisey was another guy. But, but Vogelsong's fresh in my mind because he just signed a two-year contract extension. And, and Sergio Romo's another good one to go to the uh, Giants well again. I believe he's out of Mesa State in uh, Colorado, which is a uh, Division II school. The interesting thing about this, you just hit with Furbush, though, is also if you're a really good freshman or sophomore D2 or D3 yeah. player, pretty good chance that you may end up being drafted out of a D1 school. because And what a lot of those guys actually are doing now, um, as I'm doing compiling this information, is a lot of those guys have a good year as a freshman in Division II, and then they end up transferring. Or if they're even in smaller schools, they, they pull a Corey Spangenberg. Now, he wasn't at a Division II school, but he was at VMI, a small Division One. I. I wouldn't even call the Big South a mid-major conference. It's one of the lesser conferences. And uh, through a combination of things, VMI, well, not a lot of fun to go to VMI. You, you know, it's a military school. So, um, But Spangenberg was overlooked as an amateur out of high school. He, people knew he was athletic, but he was small. He physically matured as a freshman, then had a great summer in the Valley League. I really wish we had that Valley League list to do over again. The number one prospect in that league just transferred from Lemoyne to St. John's. Jerome Werniuk. Mm-hmm. Jerome Werniuk, one of my favorite names. 
Spangenberg was number two, and now he and then he transferred obviously to junior college. So th- that's where you get a lot of those guys right, are transferring to junior college. Then you've got you can be drafted. You get, that's, that's it. You can get drafted, and often these guys are going to Division two. A lot of often they're going because they didn't have the grades to cut at Division one. They didn't have all their core courses or their SATs. And of course, last year another good Division two prospect, Carter Caps, um, you know, came into the year as a top Division two prospect. Wound up the top Division two prospect, drafted I think in the fourth round by the Mariners, showcased himself a little bit more in the Cape Cod League, pitched very well in the Cape, and signed for a good amount with the Mariners, and he's in the prospect handbook. So there are, uh, you know, there's some prospects at that level, and there there's some guys in the small college. Uh, we're really only worried about the prospects of Division two, not so much on who wins. The, the the best way to put it is this: okay, Baseball America podcast. I'm JJ. That's John, and we're going to talk about AL Central top ten prospects, but. We're also the best way to put it is, is you never know you you might get a little sidetracked <laughs> right. at time which is fine this is what we're you know this is what we do on the podcast but bringing it to the uh, to the AL Central as we said not the most impressive top ten and let's be honest not the most impressive top thirties in this we're going to give away I think one little tidbit of information here from the handbook okay Chicago White Sox not going to be in the top ten. In the handbook, they are at the rock bottom. There are actually two central teams at rock bottom in our organization rankings in the book, and that's the White Sox and the Indians. And I got to be honest with you, JJ, that was a race to the bottom. That was that was that, actually a, it, well, no, that was a that was, a, that was, it was going in. It was going be. in. The best way to describe it is is when we began that race, the White Sox were far ahead. I but, wouldn't even say that though. But no, no, uh, the hold more, on. They the, were before the trades. They were. They had it. And then, they had it, but I, it wasn't as far. I think all of us, like Will, Jim, and I, are the, I would say the only people who see all all the top thirty before they go in the book and at least read uh, part of it or all of it. And I think all of us, all three of us, were like, "Wow, the Indian system is closer to the White Sox than we thought." And now the White Sox keep adding talent, right? And so the, it's it's close. No, and the the way to put that is is that they've gotten there in two somewhat different ways, they, right? The White Sox have gotten there because if you do not spend money anywhere in talent acquisition, you're 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 going to have a little trouble uh, building up a strong farm system. I would say that the uh, the Indians got there more honestly, <laughs> you know, the better way. They graduated guys and they traded them. If you take you know, last year's top ten for them, you take away the Lonnie Chisholm's, you take away the Jason Kipnis's, absolutely, and then you take away the Drew Pomeranz because and you Alex trade White and Alex and, White because you trade them away. Yeah, so that's really you're talking about. Their last, th- their prior three first round picks, their their last three first round picks, and then Kipnis, who was a second rounder, and and might wind up being the best out of all those guys potentially. So, so all those guys graduated the big leagues, and went, so in Kipnis, he barely broke the 130 at bat barrier, and if he hadn't done that, he would have been their number one prospect. But he did. So I don't know that if was he would, would he have been number one. Yes, he would have been number one over Lindor. Absolutely. Okay. For me, I think he absolutely would have been. I have. I think there are legitimate questions about Lindor's. Offensive ceiling. Not that he's not going to get to the major leagues. Let's go ahead and start with the Indians. But yeah. on his offensive ceiling. But, J.J., this is a system where the biggest issue for Cleveland is that the rest of their draft classes the last couple of years kind of went backwards. A guy like a Joe Gardner, who was in their top ten last year, uh, and A-ball was looking like a, a nice prospect, like a, a sink, good sinker slider option, really didn't have a great 2011 uh, then you're talking about guys like a Levon Washington. Uh, who just really had a terrible year. Levon Washington. Levon Washington at this point is a giant question mark because, and it's one of those things where 
It's always a it's always something you want to see when Washington coming out of high school. The questions were how well how big will the bat be? Right. And what's his position? Right. Those questions have not been answered in good ways yet. No, not yet. The, the the bat, you know, it's all really going to come down to the bat, and he just didn't hit as a first year pro. And you know, this is a guy whose his track record just is pretty mixed. That's all there is to it, and he he really hasn't. It's just been a lot of hat, and not a lot of cattle yet for for uh, Levon Washington. There's still some tools there, and you're still going to find scouts who compare the overall raw package to Johnny Damon because he can't throw, he really runs, and he has a good swing. Um, but you know he's got some stride issues. He's very inconsistent mechanically with his, with his base and his setup. And just because he has hand eye doesn't mean he's going to hit. So he has. I know that a lot of scouts I've talked to when he was an amateur really thought this guy had natural hitting rhythm. But I don't know that. I think there are other questions about how hard he works at his craft. The game always came easy to him, and now it didn't in 2011. So 2012 is a big year for him. By the way, we've talked about this before, but signs that it's not. A great top ten. If you see that your number one pick is the guy who's drafted this year, not a not a giant red flag, but you always like okay. Ideally, you're unless it's a top like five right. pick, you, you want that guy to be number two or three. At the if your number two prospect is also is your second round pick yeah. from the same draft, yeah. Okay, that's at that point you go. Okay, this is probably not a good top. And it's not like Dylan Howard, who is a good prospect, but it's not like he's one of these like a guy who was say like a Daniel Norris, who was a projected top twenty who's talent because who fell. Dylan Howard was like in the thirty to forty range, and he's interesting, but he's not left-handed. He doesn't throw as hard as Daniel Norris, and you know he had kind of an uneven senior season. So. Um, yeah, and I mean then, it, it's not a good top ten. And, and number three, Nick Hagedorn is. At this point, your hope is is that he pitches the ninth. It's a, realistically, right. he probably pitches the eighth. I mean, like a realistic. And if it doesn't work out, he may pitch the sixth or seventh. A, a realistic com- career comparison for him. I, I use this for, for a lot of hard throwing left handed relievers. Yeah, I, Alan Embry. I know Alan Embry's I mean, coming just, here. That's where he's, he's coming. Playing his Alan Embry card. It's realistic, and I, I can't think of like the good version of that is Billy Wags. The left-handed closer are Randy Meyer. Right. But they're the, not a lot of those guys. But I was going to say, and especially Who, with that, though. Who's the, the modern lefty fireballing closer right now? But the thing about that is, especially Actually, when you say the best-case scenario is Billy Wagner, the problem with that is is that, for one, Wagner's fastball is at a different – like, even oh, no like Hagedon, it's a different level. Although and then, Hagedon did, like, when he first came out, like, he was like 95, 98. Right. Like, sitting. That's not Billy Wagner, but he's also more physical. Right. That gives but, Wagner even another advantage. But the other thing is is that – Wherever Wagner was, Wagner struck out a billion guys. A billion guys. He did. He I mean, that did. was not. It was not something where you go, "Hey, that, he's that, getting he's I, getting a strikeout and inning." I uh, instantly, a strikeout and inning for Billy Wagner was like something. He's lost something. No, I instantly backtracked off of Billy Wagner and went with Randy Myers, who was good but less consistent than right. than Billy Wagner. And I'm trying to think of who the hard throwing left handed closers are in the big leagues right now. I just can't think of any. I, I'm sure I, there's I think, somebody, but I'm not thinking of them right well, now. Well, the the big thing is is that. Again, it it's one of those things where this is what's tough when you're projecting prospects for one thing, when you're projecting essentially guys who already are in that, okay, he's a reliever right. mold right. before they hit the big Which leagues. is basically half the Indians' farm, farm system. system. But <laughs> the problem with that is is that, yes, okay, you have to have the building blocks to project that this guy could close. Right. You have to have those building blocks first. Does he have plus, you know, yeah. plus stuff? Because if you don't, you're, you're not going to project. I really think that my modern comparison, my more modern comp should be Matt Thornton. 
So who took a long time and who does to become a useful really big leader? And he does throw really hard, but he's basically Allen Embry 2.0. But the other thing is, is that if you have the building blocks, well, let's be honest, because of opportunity, because of the challenges of the job, because of a, a variety of things, for every four guys you can project, that guy could be a closer. Right. One of them may end up being That's right. a closer. That's right. So you're talking about a lot of whole lot of guys. When their guys have already been put in that box of this guy's a reliever, yeah. you're talking about a whole lot of setup men or. I mean, fifth, like, who's six, the six, other? Seven. Who's the other left-handed even kind of closer? I guess the only other, not even closer, but like Johnny Venter is the other like late inning lefty. Right, and I'll say this: reliable guy, and he's so unique. And I'll say this about Venter's: he may not be a. Yeah, he wasn't their closer essentially last year. Don't care. Yeah, he's the best left-handed reliever. I mean, I don't know, like, I, and I don't care. Like with the Braves, the way the Braves used him, he was as valuable for them as Craig Kimbrell. Just because Kimbrell got the last out of that of the ninth, right? They use Venters a lot. Yeah, no, he was. Phenomenal. He threw a and ton. And is another very yeah. effective left-hander. So, so okay, but, if you want to, no, if you'd like a hard-throwing lefty, you know, who get have him be a Brave. That's right. But I, I, the, this is it's a it's a rough list, and I mean. Uh, you know, Zach McAllister's career has, a, has had a very minor but, league up and down career. This basically this list is, and it's, it's true. Their whole top thirty, it's role players. It's like if you're lucky, Tony Walters is an offensive second baseman, but he's not even played full season ball. Um, you know, there's some high upside guys, but it's guys like, you know, Luigi Rodriguez or guys like Howard and Lindor who have not played, you know, full season ball yet. And Luigi Rodriguez, when he did, you know, didn't impact the baseball. And then the guys like Austin Adams, Zach Putnam. McAllister, Barnes, their best case scenario is back of the rotation starter, like Barnes and McAllister, you know, four or five guys, because you probably don't want starting a playoff game, or good middle relievers, like Adams probably will be, and Putnam has a chance to be, so it's just not a pretty picture in Cleveland's farm system. And I, I'll put it this way, top 100 guys on this list, ends at probably number one. I think so. I don't think Dylan Howard's a, a top 100 guy. The so White there, Sox, the White Sox cause it's the same story for me. The it's White a, Sox one top 100 guy. Yeah, you know, and the the thing with the White Sox is is that again, I thought before some of these trades. Now, this White Sox top 10 that we're looking at right here, you know, that in the issue is better than the one we put in the prospect handbook because right. since then you've added Simone Castro, which he moves to number three. Right. I believe Jan Marinez was not in there yet. Wait. At, no, he was. They, was. Had the, he, they already had Marina. I'll put it this way. If you look at – here's the best way to put this to explain this White Sox top ten. One through ten, Molina at two, Castro at three, uh, Marina Jan is. Marinez at seven, and Oswaldo Martinez at ten all just joined the organization, have not yet played a game for the White Sox. Yeah, no, I agree. They were and, not – all those guys were not – at the if end of the regular the guys, season, we were looking at the White Sox farms and have been going, hoochie mama, I, <laughs> there's nothing here. If you took the White Sox before the trades and said who was going to be number 10, that number 10 would there be that number 10 would have been no better than number 30 in some organizations. Well, put it this way, Nestor Molina was number 18 in the Blue Jays when that trade He's was He's number made. two now. So like the, the other thing is that even trading Jason Frazier, you know, Webb, I forget Webb's first name, it starts with a D. What's his first name? Not Dan. Da- Daniel. Daniel, Daniel Webb. Yeah. And then uh, Miles J. And Miles J. did not miss the White Sox top ten by a whole lot. And he has a he, he was a 2010 
like $250,000 bonus signee. So not a huge overslot guy who has pitched in the Appy League. And he didn't miss their top ten by much. I think the Indians the Indians have just so little upside. The Indians are, roll, the Indians are Lindor, a lot of Lindor's Lindor better. side. He's, he's a separator to me. The Lindor side, there are a lot of role players, a lot of them at the upper levels. You know, there's a lot of high A, double A guys who are like, okay, that guy's never going to be a starter probably. Right. He's a role player. The White Sox list is there are guys, some guys further away, and it's all, but it's a lot of the same stuff. You've added some guys in now, but it's a lot of role players again. Here's the thing with the White Sox, though. Like we do the chart, largest bonuses in club history. Right, right. Joe Borchard, still the largest <laughs> bonus. Probably going to be that way for a lot. It probably will be. That may be why. Might be a franchise record that never gets beaten. Then you got a Viciedo, Cuban defector, uh, Beckham, who did get 2.6. And then number four on this list is Jason Stum, who got 1.7 in 1999. Yeah, now, that's the amazing part. 1999. 1999. And it's There's not a like, lot of that in this division, to be honest with And you. that's not an outlandish – I'll put it this way. You know, there's – to see a guy, you know, showing up still, to, to see that you can, you know, Chris Sale's 1.6 makes the top five is, again, a reminder, they don't spend money. The Royals are actually the only team in this division that doesn't have a 20th century bonus in their top five. Every other the team Tigers in this division. Case, though, like, but the Tigers case, it's like Eric Munson, who got 3.4. Yeah, he was the third overall pick, so that's a little bit different. But the White Sox, one of the things with the White Sox, there's two reasons why the White Sox bonuses are like that. One is, you know, Viciedo notwithstanding, they really haven't been very active in Latin America. And when they have been, they were probably the they were the most corrupt team that's documented. Right. I, I mean, mean they, they've had it's, people it's the most documented guilty. people Exactly. And they had, you know, basically it was like Kentucky's basketball program. Oh, you opened that, that bag with all the cash in it, you know. Um, so th- th- I'm not saying they're the most corrupt. They're the one that we've documented, that we know the most, that's uh, irrefutable. And then they've had so much turnover internationally. Um, and then, then second of all, they also they've had a lot of success at the major league level. They're almost always in it, JJ. So they very rarely that Gordon they Beckham don't pick, pick. Yeah, they don't. That Gordon Beckham pick was the only that was that was our first single digit draft pick since Big Frank. Right. They don't pick at the top in the top ten. Yeah. And they also and they've they're caught in this right now again. A lot of times they're in that nether world of are we in it? Right. Or are we not? And they don't. I don't even think they, that Kenny Williams knows now if they're rebuilding or not. You know the the yeah, Danks, say this. the Danks contract is evidence that they're not rebuilding. But, then but they, the fact that Danks trades, was available before that was evidence that maybe they were. Yeah, and all their other trades. And all their other trades are. They just, had, I mean, you could make the argument they overpaid for John Danks. You know, they paid a high level of his market well, value. Well, the but, thing with that though is tough though is just that this is also difficult. Is that okay? It's hard. It's. Easy to go into rebuilding mode when you look at your farm system and say, man, we've got 10, 15 guys here who are going to really help this club. Right. It's hard to go into rebuilding mode when you say, there is nothing in our farm system that can help us, really. So if we say we're going into rebuilding mode, we're talking it's a four- or five-year process. One other thing I will say in their slight defense is that for their top ten is that um, you know Chris Sale, most organizations – Chris be Sale would have held out last year till the middle of August. He would have gotten a higher bonus than he got. He basically signed for slot, and he would have been moved slower as a relief as a starter. Somebody would have exhausted him. So he'd be their number one starting. prospect right now. He'd probably be their number one guy. But the White Sox 
don't do that. But, and and let they me, are different. And let me say this. So that just, I'm, just, I'm just saying in terms of measuring their farm system, they might not be number 30 if they had Chris Sale in their system. And, and let me say this. I think we both. I, I know I do. I like Addison Reed. Yeah, I do. I don't like him as much as you do, but I do like him. I, I like him now, again, if you have a guy who's already made that jump to the pen and he's not coming out of the pen, he's a closer, and that's that's not normally the guy you want at number one. He has a chance to close for them, though, in 2012. Right. I mean, with Sergio Santos traded. But, I mean, like, I like Nestor Molina. I like Nestor Molina probably more than most in the, in the, in the office. Um, I probably would have argued him higher on that Blue Jays. Yeah, list, I was going to say 18 would be a little low to me, too. Yeah. Uh, but, but, like, Simone Castro – um, boy, I, mean, I think we all, all of us who are prospect watchers were all disappointed by him in the Futures game. And if you read the report, which Matt Eddy wrote because he was an, a Padre when the handbook came out, uh, he basically, the, the Padres basically traced Simone Castro's the beginning of the downfall of Simone Castro to that Futures game outing. His arm stroke got longer, uh, you know, his arm action was longer, and, and he lost his release point and he lost velocity. Now they, according to the Padres, that stuff got better. And according to the, to the White Sox, I've you know, been in touch with White Sox officials. Yeah, the, the what we have on him late season with the Padres is accurate. He did get better at Double A San Antonio, but the, basically the last year and a half has been a lost year and a half for Simone Castro. Which, so and we'll guys see. see his delivery, and some guys say, yeah, that he's heading happen. to the pen too. That's it. That's right. That's right. Some guys really do. So, I think there's a chance that Don Cooper gets a lot out of Simone Castro, and same thing with Nestor Molina. And, uh, that was a great point I thought Matt Eddy made in the trades is that the White Sox have a lot of faith in Kirk Champion, their minor league pitching uh, coordinator, and Don Cooper, their major league pitching they coach. They gave him some good play. This. Yeah. They, got, they got some guys who That's throw right. really hard. That's right. And Not Molina, Molina throw, Molina's more of a pitcher. Castro throws really hard. Jan Marinez throws but, really hard. Yeah, the Eastern League reports we got on uh, Molina were that, you know, touching some 96s in the playoffs. He's not a power pitcher per se, but he's not a soft tosser either. So, there's some hope there, but I mean, like they're position players, JJ. This might be the weakest group of position players, probably in the whole book. I mean, Trace Thompson, I like the upside, but the strikeouts are insane. Keenan Walker, I like the upside. Got so, I got a comp to Willie McGee uh, on uh, on Keenan. I'll say Walker. this for Keenan: that's not a physical comp because Keenan actually, you know, does not have that that face right. that you go, wait, wait, wait. No, what? he does not. He is not going to be in the. He's not going to be a candidate for ugliest player in professional sports. <laughs> Um, but Keenan Walker, a lot of swing and miss, and pushed aggressively. Tyler Saladino's eight. I, if you like Tyler Saladino, he he could be a good utility player. Right, exactly. And you look at their best tools, uh, I think it tells you a lot. Tyler Kuhn is your best hitter for average. I mean, he's a fringy big leaguer at best. You know, I'm trying to think. He's You know who Tyler Kuhn reminds me of, honestly, is Brooks Conrad. He's a better version but, of Brooks Conrad, but not by a lot. But the other thing I'll say this for the White Sox, it does ding their top ten just by his absence, because he doesn't deserve to be in it, is Jared Mitchell. Jared Mitchell. I, I agree. So, yeah. Speaking I, of a lot of swing and miss. That's right. A ton of swing and miss. And obviously, the other thing is, he's just not the guy they drafted. Because that injury, he's lost some of his athleticism. And that's he's not, he's not the that's not, You don't problem. see the burst on a regular basis. They, they, that explosiveness. Yeah. That was what he was supposed to bring. And that's a problem. The next, to me, the next worst system is Detroit, but that's acceptable because they have the best major league team in the division. And not only that, but you, you, I'll say this with Detroit: I, I do feel like that it still is. Is I mean, it's a notch above those guys. I think so. Because at the top, you've got. I'm not the biggest Jacob Turner fan, but Jacob Turner's a solid prospect. Yeah, absolutely. I like Jacob Nick Turner. Nick Castellanos, number two, solid prospect. I think you could you could debate those guys as who should be one and who should be two. I would give the edge to Turner, but I think it's a slight edge. And if you made the case for Castellanos, 
I wouldn't uh, shrink from that. So I, I the, like that's a very it's a potent top two the, duo. The question with Turner in somewhat is is that okay he if he was in a different organization, I, I'll be honest, it would probably be something I wouldn't even focus on as much. The AL Central is so strange that you have these two systems, Detroit and Chicago. But they are just not, neither one of those. They push those two. They probably are two. And if you're, if you're in the top five organizations that push their prospects the most aggressively, they are in the top five, and they might be one, two. And the thing about it is, is that Turner right now seems to me like they're putting him on that same exact Porcello track. Just about. Yeah, they are just about. And I don't know necessarily that he needs to be on that track. I, I agree again. Because. For one thing, like we saw this with Porcello, and even the scouting reports are somewhat so. Yeah, he doesn't miss a whole lot of bats, but right. you know what? He knows how to pitch and all. His, and his breaking stuff in high school was swing and miss breaking stuff and was projected as big-time swing and miss breaking stuff, and it's not. That's it. Now it's ground ball breaking stuff. Right. Now it, like, it's – and I don't know if that's, like, just how it happened or if they're being taught, but in both cases it's like the – Cult of weak contact has gone to a level too far, which yeah. is, you know what? You still got to make them miss some bats, in, especially in the minors. If and you're not making them miss some bats in the minors, the, pro, the MLB guys, they're, they're too good. To, and to me, Porcello, every time I see him pitch, with the exception of, you know, he, he gets forgotten. That 2009 playoff game against the Twins, he pitched great. Right. For he a did. guy two years out of high school oh, yeah. in that situation, which again, as good as he they was. They move fast. Absolutely. Um, but to me, he's always, always seems like Rick Porcello's in survival mode. He's never in command. He's never. He's always. I'm, I'm the baddest dude out here, right. and I'm going to basically it's, dominate. It's you. a demeanor thing, and when you, I see him on the mound, I just, uh, you know, I've and, never seen him in person at in the major league level. But it just, he just never seems like he pitches uh, and, with that level of uh, command of the situation. And maybe it's unfair of me to say this, but the reports we get on Turner. Aren't that far off? On Aren't that. that far off on that? Yeah, he doesn't. He's the criticisms of him sound like they're talking about a Japanese pitcher. He's got a good fastball. I wish he used him more. You know, what I mean, like, and that's what the reports are. We're, we're on him in, in the Eastern League. People like this stuff. They didn't like the sequencing. They didn't like the the feel for pitch. And that's because he's a guy who's out of a Missouri high school. I don't care that he was tutored by Todd Worrell and Mike Matheny. He's still a pitcher out of a Missouri high school who did not need to be in the major leagues in 2011. And really. Probably wasn't ready for Double A in 2011. So, um, you, but they, but you know what? Uh, it's easier for me to say that from here. Uh, Dave Dombrowski, Alavila, uh, their track record is better than mine. So, but I still think that consistently the well, Tigers they have a track record. They have a track record. <laughs> consistently, they, well, our name is out there. Yeah, too. our name's out there. But yeah, but, but, it's but not we don't the have. Same. But we, we don't, don't have the dollar sign. We're, yeah, we're not. We're not cutting millions of dollar checks. Correct. We don't CTC. These guys do. But uh, th- so I'll defer to them. But I, I still think they, they move their guys, especially their pitchers, way too aggressively. And it's also been true on the position player side. On the position player side, they've gotten away with it with guys like a Fernando Martinez, uh, Francisco Martinez, I should say, the third baseman whom they used uh, very well in the Doug Fister trade. I, I think we both really – you brought him to people's attention last year in the Florida State League. I think, you know, uh, he was showing that same bat potential and that all-around athletic ability in the Eastern League this year. Well – the thing that does jump out, though, is, is that you look at it like three, four, five, four, and five. Casey Crosby, Andy Oliver. If everything had worked out for them, those guys could be really kind of core guys. But at this point, it's hard to say that they have. It's more of, you know, 
Okay, I'll tap you know push the button. So what are your comps for Casey Crosby and and uh, Andy Oliver? Nick Hagedorn. <laughs> <laughs> Alan no, I mean, like, exactly. No, Matt I mean, Thornton. And Andy Oliver's the original guy when he was in college that I got an Andy uh, an uh, Alan Embry comp on. It was like these left-handers who throw hard who don't have feel to start. Um I had scouts comping these guys to Alan Embry and that's uh I I've gotten that I've I've run that comp on other players. I I get it from other scouts. So uh, once it started, you can't put that genie back in the bottle, JJ. But yeah, I mean, and I, I'm glad that we have Crosby ranked ahead of him because he flashes the breaking ball. But you know, this the success has just never really been there for Casey Crosby, nor has the strike throwing ability. And 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 there's been injuries too. There have been injuries, and now there's a long track record of him not throwing a lot of quality strikes. So, you know, he's got better breaking stuff than Andy Oliver, but that's that's damning him a faint praise. And here's a junior college guy in your top ten, and Alex Burgos, who was a nice. Uh, he's a sleeper. He's probably the biggest sleeper in this list besides Brenny Paulino. Brenny Paulino. I think Brenny Paulino and Alex Burgos are the two guys that prospect watchers, people who are real hardcore fans and subscribers of Baseball America, maybe didn't know about before and might be surprised to see those guys in this top ten. And I, I was going to say, Ben Battler loves him some Bernie Paulino. He really does, and I think part of it is that Bernie Paulino looks kind of like a, a, a not of this human race. Um, and he is a very strange-looking mugshot, but we've had we've had much worse mugshots. I'm thinking of Vin, Vince Perkins as my all-time least favorite mugshot. Where he, we got but, the mo- photo of him after I'd already put him in the Blue Jays' top ten. I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> get this guy out of the top ten, but it was too late. So. But the thing again, though, is with Paulino. I mean, and again, that's not a major thing, but we talk about moving guys. Oh yeah, he was in the GCL and he dominated the GCL. And then they needed a guy for the, you know, hey, let me need someone in Lakeland. You're there already, so let's bring you up. Oh, and two, twenty-one point nine four. Yeah, the nine walks, two starts, five th- innings, nine hits, nine walks, seven Ks. Right. Maybe wasn't ready to. Make the jump from the GCL, even for a couple of starts, to you know high A. But it's a live arm. They they have some real high ceiling Latin American guys throughout their system. Paulino and Avisel Garcia are two of the best ones. Rondon, I forget his first. I think it's Bruce Rondon, the yeah, corpulent. I believe is the word to say. Hard throw. Uh, near three hundred pound, if not over three hundred pound reliever. Who's a triple digits in like one hundred two? Uh, triple digits on the fastball and three bills on that's the right. That's right. <laughs> so. So they have some high upside guys, and then they have your basically your backup backup catcher, second division like Brian Schneider type catcher profiles in Rob Brantley, who like Schneider is a left-handed bat, and James McCann, who's a right-handed hitter, um, and Aaron Fit, personal cheese ball coming into the year, um, who was their top draft pick this year. But you know the the Tigers played it very safe in the draft this year, which is unusual for them. It was very unusual for them, I think. They are one of the more college-heavy teams in the draft, but they are not afraid to pay. And it's also, I, I think, interesting that they have two of their top ten guys are catchers, and they had Alex Avila or Avila just had the, the kind of year that he had in the big leagues this year. And that's one time where I think the the Tigers also deserve some real credit. Avila is a guy where they pushed very aggressively, and, and it's worked <laughs> excuse out. me. And I talked to guys in the Easter League this year who were like, "Yeah, I had him in as maybe a backup catcher, but they." Uh, a lot of evaluators, 29 other teams, I think, are shocked by how good Avila was in the big leagues this year, and, and he was great in the big leagues. So they deserve credit for their player development ability. They've done, I think, a pretty good job of identifying which guys can fast and track and which guys have. I still think that they have stunted the ceiling of Porcello and the same thing with Turner, but uh, but th- those p- two players still have a lot and of And they've had future. a good track record overall. I mean, yeah, I think so. Been, there's been some success in Detroit. I agree. There's been success in Minnesota. There was not success. There was... Very little success of any sort in 2011. 
Yeah, not in uh, AAA, not in the major leagues. And uh, the major league team, their worst year since 1982. And um, I think it's also been amazing turnover. And it's hard to tell if Minnesota but Twins fans... it's not even fans... turnover. It's more like shuffle. But yeah, but I mean, like, uh, but Wayne Krivsky's back. Krivsky back. But, but I was going to say, but, but, but basically, you bring back Terry Ryan. It's, it's, it's Bill been, Smith hasn't left. He's it's just, been, okay, it, here's your seat back, and I'll go well, back he's down. He's been pushed aside pretty significantly. It's, right. This is more like, like Dr. Emmett But he's Brown. still working for the team, which it, you don't see very often. I cannot think of the last time that I saw, you know, the GM is replaced, and they go, you know what, but stick around. Right. No, he, he, and that, that is uh, That's unique. the Twins. That's unique to the Twins. It's, it's a very polite way to fire a general manager. It's very Minnesota of them. Um, and, and then, uh, obviously, Terry Ryan going back in that chair. I think the Twins have had a great offseason. I like their offseason signings. Guys like Jamie Carroll, Ryan Domit, Josh Willingham. I think they've upgraded their major league roster. Um, but, you know, 2012 is a pretty important year for the Twins because to show that 2011 – was the, the blip. real? And I'm not sure what the true answer is. Was 2011 uh, think, well, the blip, or 2000, or will, or will, or will that be the start of a downward trend? I mean, you can find the answer on that. I think, and basically, you just look at the lines of two guys. If yeah. you look at the end of 2012, if you could go in a time capsule, you don't need to see anything else for the Twins. If I can see how many games and how productive Justin Morneau and Joe Maurer were, that answers the question. Yeah, I think that really. Uh, I, th- I think it's easy to oversimplify, but I don't think it's oversimplification with the Twins. The rest of the cast of characters didn't change that much. And now, the rest of the pitching. cast of characters, though, are the sup- The key part of that is is that yeah. they're the supplementary pieces Correct. to the two potential MVP candidates who neither of them did anything. Now, their middle infield was a disaster, and, and they- that was a big part of it. You know, J.J. Hardy and Orlando Hudson may not have been great, in 2011, I mean 2010, but they were really solid. And in hindsight, if they'd have had JJ Hardy in 2011, that would have yeah, I would have would have saved a lot. I mean, another part of it is that JJ Hardy was like the right-handed power piece, the complement to these guys they've been looking for for years. But timing, I guess, is everything. Um, apparently, the American League Central is tougher than the American League East because JJ Hardy just needed to get to that American <laughs> League East to really unlock his power potential and hit 30 home but, runs. He's like the only person who's gone to but, Baltimore and gotten better. But what we're talking about here is like Jamie Carroll is a big signing for them. That also does sum up though, like how again it really still depends on Mauer and Morneau because the the guys they got they did upgrade the roster some spots, but. These are still complementary players. This yeah, is but not... I think they upgraded their complementary players. I mean, Jamie Carroll, whether he's at second or at short, and they're saying he's going to be shortstop at age 38 when he's never been a full-time shortstop. But we'll see. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think he's a huge upgrade over anybody they had in their middle infield in 2011. Let's face it, they missed Nick Punto. I mean, and they did. Their, their fans don't want to admit it, but they missed Nick Punto. Um, but their middle infield was just hideous. In 2011, and so I think that's a huge upgrade. I think Ryan Domit's really important. A, he has kind of what we should start calling Ryan Flaherty positional versatility. He's bad at a lot of different spots, right. but he can man an outfield corner. He can play first base. He can catch. I think he's in a DH, but, provide power from both sides the of the plate. But the key thing is, is that, yeah, he's – And he can catch and spell Joe Maurer, and you're not giving away three or four outs a game. You know, obviously he's not defensively – the equal of the guys, the Drew Buteras and those guys they had catching when Mauro was hurt right, in 2011. Right, but you can't let your, your catcher hit like a pitcher. But that's just not acceptable anymore. Correct. So I think Domit's a great fit there. And Josh Willingham offensively is a much better version, in my mind, of Mike Kadire. I mean, Mike Kadire's a solid player. Josh Willingham's probably not as good defensively, not as good of an athlete. 
and he's not as known a commodity. But uh, as, as far as the Twins go, because Kadir had been in that system since 1997, but he's a better offensive player, and he's a better right-handed power bat. So he is a good fit to go with Mauer and Morneau, assuming those guys are, are healthy. I, I think the big question for the for the Twins is what happens in right field for them, because they're talking about – they asked Terry Ryan point blank this week, so does this mean with Willingham that you could go Willingham left, Revere center, span right? And he said, no, Denard Span is a center fielder. And, it's like, okay, and we know that Ben Revere does not have the arm for right. So Ben Revere is the extra guy. You know who he talked about in right field was Trevor Plouffe. He talked more Trevor Plouffe than Joe Benson. I think Joe Benson has the talent and the ability to make uh, that happen. I'm going to go on a limb here and say if Trevor Plouffe plays 130 games in right field for the Twins this year, they're Twins gonna, aren't doing anything. They're going to have 100 losses. And uh, I mean, that's just Trevor Plouffe. I'm not a Trevor Plouffe fan. Uh, I, never you, really yeah, I mean, been. okay, maybe you got to throw names out like, and hey, we're giving this guy a shot. Trevor Plouffe is not their everyday right fielder. I feel confident in saying that. I agree. And uh, But the other thing that stands out to me about the twin system is how their last four first-round picks, 08, 9, 10, 11. Let's take a quick look at that. 2008, well, like Aaron the, Hicks. Like you can even rewind year. the year before. You said Ben Revere is an extra guy right now. Right, ben Revere, 07, but he has made the big league. He's, had, he's provided them some value. Okay, 2008, Aaron Hicks. Really had a bad year, and the splits now. And the thing is that they hasn't had a good year yet anywhere. I, I, no, I disagree. It's 2008. That's the problem. In the Gulf Coast League, he okay, really sorry. hit. He hit. You're right. He hit, impacted the ball, and he drew a lot of walks. Since hitting, since, see, since arriving what, in full season ball, he's see, yet to real, have a good year. But no, but no, then 2009, he starts and extended, and then he went to the Midwest League, and he more than held his own, uh, walked a lot, impacted the ball fairly well in 2009, and was the number one prospect in the Midwest League. And that, that's the thing. Aaron Hicks, talking to Twins officials, this year was the first year I heard it. They just completely – the, when he first signed, I, Mike Ratcliffe was like, I hope that he's not our number one guy, but I guess he kind of has to be. And kept saying, this guy's really raw. This guy was not a full-time baseball player because he really was a great golfer, and he's still a great golfer up until like 14, 15 years old. It was only in high school when he really – Focus on baseball as a number one sport, but that's that's a that's a weak excuse. I think most players like that. But number two, yeah, he's Southern California, but it was a weak high school competition league, and they talked about that a lot. To me, the the raw bat part was always because yes, he, the, the arm was so good that some teams saw him more as a pitcher. But now Twins officials keep talking about you know he really didn't face great high school competition, and and Mike has said this, and Deron Johnson has said this that. He's more raw offensively than the numbers indicate. Just because, just because he draws a lot of walks, does not mean that he knows what he's doing offensively. It's like he and just, like I wrote this ten years ago, was made fun of by Giants fans. I wrote about Fred Lewis that he accidentally drew a lot of walks, and, and that's kind of what the Twins said. They don't use that word, but that yeah, he's that's patient. A, but it doesn't mean that he knows the strike. Right, that zone. means more he's not aggressive, and sometimes he's at a level low enough level that guys still miss right. the zone enough. In that some he, ways, that's really true. And I think the other thing is his left-handed swing does have this loop. It can get long. It is inconsistent. He's much better from the right side, and that really shows in the numbers. So he's better production rise from the right side, right side, and he's better with his swing. His swing is sounder mechanically. From the left See, side, he's just not a sound, mechanical, consistent swing. And, and here's the concern. And that's a big concern. This is a concern is just that, okay, he's raw and all, but the thing that is supposed to jump out with these, if you have great athleticism is – even if you're a little behind, you hear this all the time with right. the two sport guys, with the football guys. Yeah, he's gonna it's gonna take him a little while, but once he gets going, he's right. gonna fly by these guys. Aaron Hicks at this point, he's now got 
almost three years of full season ball. Yeah, he does have th- basically three seasons. Was, they held him back and extended for a little right, while. But it was still like he was in a full season league in Midwest League in nineteen in two thousand nine. Right. So two thousand nine, ten, eleven. And I guess theoretically, you know, he heads up to Double A next year. I believe that's going to be the case. But he has yet to really hit that point. Like, he's coming into that after a year and a half in the Florida State League. Actually, I put this in here that he will likely repeat high class A to start the season. Which, if that's the case, that will be a part of a third year in Fort Myers. Here's the, uh, if you're a Twins fan and you want to believe in Aaron Hicks, you have two good reasons to do so. Denard Spann and Torrey Hunter, who are both very similar cases. Spann, like Hicks, from a baseball hotbed in Tampa, but a guy who, despite that, was it took a while. Now, Span was a football baseball guy, but it took Denard Span a while, and really he didn't figure it out till the last month. He was in AAA in 2007, I guess it was. I mean, that month of August is the re- of that year is the reason that he even ranked in our top 30 that year, and nobody believed in, in Denard Span. But then the other guy, Torrey Hunter, I think he was in AAA, in AA for three or four years. Yeah, so, for them. so so they do have experience with – Right. Center fielders Do not give up on him all yet, tooled up. And another guy who's been like that for them is Joe Benson, 2006 draft. And, and they're, they're still, still not being... even saying, hey, this guy's ready. Right. So they are inordinately patient with toolsy center field types, and it's not just African-Americans. It's Joe, Joe Benson is in that same category. And honestly, Joe Benson, J.J., I think, the talking to the Twins guys I've talked to, if Joe Benson's in the major leagues, I think the Twins believe that he'd be their center fielder and Denard Spam would go to right in terms of who's the better center fielder. But Denard Spain is more comfortable in center field, and Joe Benson has the big arm. So Joe Benson will probably go to right field. But I think Joe Benson fits what they need. So I expect him, not Trevor Plouffe, to be uh, their guy in right field uh, for the majority of 2012. Unlike, I'll say this, unlike some of these other central top tens that we talked about, it's like, man, this is just not a good list. The thing that jumps out with the Twins is, is that a year from now, yeah. This could be a really good list. It could go either way. Absolutely. It could go either way. And obviously you could fail on that, but it's like it's one of those lists that Sano's going to get his first full year probably. Right. And that could take him from being a very intriguing prospect to one of the best prospects in the game. Yeah, it could be a top five prospect at this time next year. Um, but you're, but you're, we, we, Eddie, Eddie Rosario. I'm sorry. I, I've cut it. You know, I'll, I'll, we'll come back. We'll, we'll circle yeah. back. Eddie Rosario is a guy who – Led the organization in home runs last year, by the way. That guy, a year, you know, he could be, he could be a, a, a significantly better prospect a year from now. I mean, this could be Jason Kipnis. This could be not maybe not Dustin Ackley that good, but this is he's in that class of outfielder moving to second base. We've seen that happen. The Twins wanted it to happen with James Ramsey out of Florida State. They tried to sign him this year in the draft. They saw him as Jason Kipnis for them. Couldn't get Ramsey signed. He's going to be one of the top. Seniors for the 2012 draft. Osvaldo Arcia, if he's oh, yeah. healthy, could have a breakout year. And Levi Michael is six. Again, if he's healthy, could absolutely. Be a, those those guys, Arcia, especially in Michael, are guys who I don't think are going to come close to sniffing the top hundred right now. Correct. But they have the tools in them that if everything comes together, they could be next year. I agree. Arcia, it's possible that he's a back of the top hundred guy, but I, I'm bullish on 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 him. I'm bullish on their their whole system. I still think it's a back half of the top thir- of the thir- you know of the major right. leagues. But you're looking at 2008 Hicks. We discussed him in depth. Don't forget their 2008 supplemental first rounder Shooter Hunt. They lost in the minor league with five draft. And, and their other 2008 first rounder who? Carlos Gutierrez did not make the top ten. Didn't make it to the major leagues this year. Was passed over by a lot of other relievers. 2009 Wait. Kyle Gibson. Tommy John surgery will be 25 
by the time he comes back in 2013. And then 2010, Alex Wimmers had the six walks that the he six batters faced. You know, the kind of guy who – now, he didn't do it in instructs. He did have a good instructs, but he did have that one last start at the end of the year, the seven no-hit innings in the Florida State League. So there are glimmers of hope for him, but a pretty disastrous season. And then even Levi Michael was so banged up with this groin soft tissue injury in there that he didn't uh, play even in instructional league. He just worked out in instructs. So the last four first-round picks all could have had better 2011s. Oh, yeah. So Let's that move takes... on to the one good to the one good farm system in the in the division. And and uh, I think the way to put it is is that when we were working on our organization rankings, and we're not going to give more of that away. That'll be in the prospect handbook, and then we'll have the updated version that we'll do in the magazine yep. coming up. But the Royals ended up being better even on that than I thought they were going into it because they they yeah. graduated a lot. That's it. They graduated a lot, but for a team that graduated a lot of talent in the major leagues, it's still a really good farm system in the top ten. Stands out. I mean, if you're a reliever in this top ten, uh, you're ready for the major leagues, or you've already pitched in the major leagues. Yeah, you're you're, you're, you're throwing a hundred and with three pitches, and you hit the big leagues. If you're the injured guy in this top ten, like John Lamb, you're the injured guy who d- has dominated the minor leagues before, is left-handed, and has power stuff. So, and you're number six. You're yeah, not exactly. number one, number two, or anything like that. Right. So there's there's a lot of upside here, and I think we all like the upside of guys like a Chris Dwyer. Well, I don't. But yeah, Chris Dwyer's not my guy. But, I was uh, going to say, Yordano why would you pick Ventura, him out? I mean, you could pick. Your Donna Ventura I should have picked out. We all like the, the, the little guy with the quick arm with the, with the, uh, with the big upside. I, I'm, a big, I'm a big Chester Cuthbert fan. I, I think that Chester Cuthbert is a guy who he had a solid year last year, and then absolutely, when you talk about a young guy hitting a wall. Oh, yeah. Chester yep. Cuthbert, in the first month he was in the Midwest League, was one of the best players in the league. By the end of the season... I think you could have probably timed his bat coming across the plate with a calendar. <laughs> I mean, it was just he just wore down to where the bat speed, the explosiveness was not there. That's Please a learn. Toby, change up. <laughs> yeah. And that's a learn. You know, and, and the thing about it was, is he was one of the youngest guys in the league. Right. This year, that's a learning experience. Oh, this is really long season. But this is a team to me has three legitimate number one prospects, and that's what and really I think that you could part. shuffle them in any order that you wanted to do it. In fact, I we think did. we did. We did. I had Mike Montgomery. You wanted Will Myers. Correct. Jim Cowles wanted Bubba Starling. Yes. So it tells you how, how where I rank in the pecking order. The editor-in-chief, and I still have my guy at number three. I, I, I don't think I'm wielding my power uh, uh, as judiciously as I should. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Will Myers, the case for him basically is uh, he, he had a bad first half. Well, yeah, bad, a bad year. Bad year. And but to me, there's reasons for it. Was it a staff infection? What was his injury again? Yeah, yeah, he had an infection in the knee. And that... then, yeah, you know, to me, seeing him in the fall league and talking to people who saw him in the fall league, the bad, sp- the things that made you like Will Myers in 2010 were back at, by the end of 2011. But it is still the fall league. The argument for Bubba Starling is preternatural athlete. <laughs> you know? Oh, Bubba Starling could be Bubba Starling could be the best athlete the Royals have had since Bo, Bo Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, probably. Not, um, he's not he's not in that level of Bo Jackson level because. No one There's one bow. There's one bow. Bo, Bo fell from Krypton and came to Earth, and we were lucky to I mean, see him. Bo, yeah. They, I mean, like when we think of Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper, better baseball player than Bo Jackson. But if you talk about just the tools, Bryce Bo Jackson is the best tools in baseball history. Right. It's like, oh, you take Bryce Harper's power and then say, okay, and we're going to add Billy Hamilton's speed on top of it. 
you know. Yeah, I mean, like he's like Mike Trout combined oh, yeah. with, and then, with Bryce Harper. And then we say we got throw then, we got throw a uh, you know a Clemente arm on top of this too. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just yeah. You but, pro- people are un- there's it's sad that there's a whole generation of baseball fans who are too young to remember Bo. That guy was. In, Amazing. Well, and he's the, the funnest athlete. Is, you know, so I was going to say the best way to put it is: is we're not saying he was the best baseball player in the game, but if there was one guy in the late '80s, he said, "I can watch one game tonight," and you didn't have there was no extra innings. Yeah, there's back. one athlete in my life I would want to watch. It's Bo Jackson. With all like you due never knew, to and, and this was back in an era where I mean, really, I was seeing my baseball highlights on Sports Center because again, right. there was no extra innings package. Right, and you'd you'd see, you know that next morning you'd see it, and it's like. He ran up the wall, yeah, exactly. like no big deal. <laughs> or he caught the ball at the wall and he threw a strike that basically, like, he the guy should have been easy tagged. Where it's like, okay, that's no question he's going to score. Well, if the play we've all seen is because Harold Reynolds is a, is a famous announcer now. Is the play of him throwing Harold Reynolds out at the plate? That I mean, that throw. I mean, that's like Ichiro throwing out uh, Terrence Long, but only better. The, and the, be- the other way I can think of it is, is that I just remember the All Star game was Rick Russell, yeah. Wasn't it? And yeah, it's like, so. you know, they batted Bo leadoff, and he hits this, you know, I, I think it was about four-mile home run. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, I, you know, and covering an SEC team and when I was in college, you know, at Georgia, it's college baseball. There are, there are stories, but not many stories filter down because yeah. there aren't many guys around who actually, like, have seen it for, you know, decades or anything like that. But the one story that always jumped out was like, see that light standard over there? Bo hit it over that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we never found the ball. And it's you know, and they're not being they're not exaggerating. It's just yeah. no. SEC it, baseball. I know it's great right now, but you think about the late '80s, and if you're an SEC baseball, if you just went to SEC baseball games where you could watch, say, Bo Jackson or say Frank Thomas or say Joey, don't call me Albert Bell, all in the SEC basically at the same time in the late '80s. That's kind that's of pretty sick. insane. Um, kind of sick. Or you could have watched uh, current uh, new Cardinals pitching coach Derek Lilliquist. Yes, you yes you could. <laughs> so. Um, but. The thing that jumps out, because what we just talked about, about the rest of the division. Okay, the Tigers are going to be up there battling, you know, for the next several years, you would expect. They spend money. Yes. They've, got, they a good, a, they've got a good core. They have the best hitter in the division in, in Cabrera. If it's not him, it's, it's Maurer. And they have the best pitcher in the division. It's Verlander. So they're going to be there. They're going to be there. We don't know with the Twins. The Twins were we awful last know. year. If everyone's back to healthy, they're back to being a playoff contender, maybe because that's I don't think what they we were. know about the Indians. I mean, the we Indians don't know about the Indians, flashes, but that's that's one of the most inconsistent franchises. And we in don't the know. Game. They had a great start to season last year, like one of those starts where, well, it doesn't matter if the wheels fall off; they'll right. still be able to contend. And you realize, no, they can. The wheels can. Let's fall. face it; they're the Indians. The Indians, but you just don't expect good things to happen to that franchise. I just don't. But they're almost yeah, like the Cubs. But the other thing with that is, is that you look at the Indians and they made their moves already. Like they did. If Bobaldo they're gonna, was their move, and they don't have a farm system to make another, another They're move. not making another move like That's that. Right. So if it doesn't work with what they're doing right now, they don't have a whole lot of options other than going out and spending money, which I don't think they're going to do. More likely than not, than not, they will not do that. So you look at that. You look at the White Sox, as we said. We don't know if the White Sox are rebuilding or not <laughs> right. right now because I don't think the White Sox know if they're rebuilding or not. This is this is Kenny Williams' is, version of, of rebuilding. This is setting up that. If the Royals are ever, and I mean ever, because right now, if you're sitting or listening to this and you're 25, the answer ever is, is, yeah, I don't remember them ever being good. I believe Billy Bean would would say that this is their window. <laughs> their window, their window is, it's open right now. If yeah. they're ever going to be good, this is the window. And to be honest, if you look at it and you look at the offense that they had, 
already last year. If they can get a, an ounce of pitching, it would seem that this is an opportunity when you have a, you know, a, a, a potentially a nice little combination of left-handers. I, I hesitate to say this, but like Jonathan Sanchez has only been flashes, but we'll see what he does. He's coming to a much more offensive ballpark and a much different, more offensive league, but he does have power stuff. You're complimenting him with Bruce Chen, who's a nice finesse left-hander who's figured out how to have success in the major leagues on a fairly consistent basis now. Um, Hochaver, there's still a – to me, Luke Hochaver's a fourth starter. Right, he's a fourth starter. They, 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 they have The, the clear pieces. thing is that they do is, is that – I mean, the pitching – the starting pitching staff is still their weak. Uh, they have to. They're of basically all this, missing the front-line starter they traded away in Zach Greinke. The, That's essentially what they're missing. What it comes down to is, is that as it comes to position players, they've already started to say, hey – you know, Eric Hosmer's not a bust. <laughs> no. They already know that. Like, Hosmer's going to be a core guy. Mike Moustakas had a terrible start, but he showed by the end he of the sure year. He sure did finish really well. He should be a core guy. There, you know, Alex Gordon last year showed, hey, Correct. don't forget about me. I can be a core guy. Right, right. They have Salvador Perez should be a solid starting catcher. I think player. he should be a core guy. I think he's so they got a have, chance to be an offense-defense catcher. They have the core guys when it comes to, you know, you didn't player. even mention Frenchie. Right. You didn't and mention Frenchie. Because who knows? But I mean that. You know, who knows if that's a. Uh, I mean that. Like you said well, with the Twins, looks like the aberration rather than who knows. The, or, you what know, he is. But, but, just don't know what he's going to be. But at the same time, if something happens to Francoeur, they have options. Correct. There. That's Will Myers should not be that far away. Correct. That kind of thing. But they got to get Mike Montgomery. Right. Or Danny Duffy. Yep. Or when he comes back, John Lamb. Yep. Or Jake Odorizzi. Or Chris Dwyer or Jason, one or two of those guys is going to Hicks or Aaron, no, Aaron, Aaron Crow. Hicks. Aaron Crow, thank you. One or two of those guys is going to have to take a significant step up and be that guy if they're going to slide into this window. Yeah, I don't mean to be the the Bill Simmons, but they need someone to take the leap. Right, know? and, the, and, and it has to be a pitcher. And the thing about it is, is that that's where like. Where I see the Royals being this year is is that because the division is not that strong, I do think I think if you put the Royals in the uh, AL East this year, you say okay, they're probably going to win sixty five, seventy games. Yeah, probably. You put them in the Central, and you say this could be the year that they are interesting for a while. I don't think that they're they have the building blocks yet to say okay, in two thousand twelve, they're going to be a playoff contender. But you say that they've got the building blocks where they may top five hundred. Which actually, I guess, in the central, you could argue maybe. I'm about to say, I think they're going to be. I have a chance to contend this year, but they need one of those pitchers to take the leap. I'm not sure who the most likely guy would be. I would say it's probably Aaron Crow. To me, I say Montgomery. I think I I know I'm the Montgomery believer. And I I like I like Mike Montgomery. I'll take the guy who already has a little bit of big league time in Crow. And I always thought he should have started. You know, the stuff has always been there for him. Um, You know, to me, you figure out fastball command. And getting ahead of hitters in the rotation, not in the bullpen. But but yeah. the, the, now the thing they should have this year is they should have a solid pen as when it comes to pitching. Right. They, you know, they Kelvin Herrera is going to be part of that. Right. Kelvin Herrera is going to be part of number seven on this list. But you look at it and you say, to me though, by 2013, that's when you say, okay, if this team's not contending in 2013, then uh oh, you know, they they should be. Right. Because no, you're right. They should be. That's they what should. they're really aiming at. And the thing about it is, is they're not going to. I mean, they have if they need. If 2012, 2011 was the year they introduced everyone. Right. 2012 is the year where they figure out, okay, who are the, where are the holes remaining? Right. And they're really figuring out, okay, we had this giant wave of prospects. 
which ones are really going to contribute here and which ones are not. And the, that's one thing the Braves, where all these Royals front office guys came from, were so good at figuring out, okay, those are the guys we're going to keep, and here are the guys you we're going to trade for We got this Jose Cappy on here. Exactly. You want a Jose Cappy on. Like, who or, wants Andy Marte? Who yeah, wants Andy Marte? Yeah. Hey, who wants Ben Rivera? You know, from 15 years, John Sherholt did that better than anybody. He and Bobby Cox could figure out which guys were going to contribute in Atlanta and which guys were not. And, 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 and what the Royals need to and what they're going to have to do that they what, have some of that and magic. what they're going to have to do is figure that out because by 2000 the final pieces are put together in 12 by right. 2013 the pieces should all be together and then the clock is already ticking on the window because the reality of it is is that and they've talked about it, they have to bring more waves of prospects up right. and all that but that that window they have with that group you know they're not. They have money to spend at that point because no one's expensive yet. And that's the thing to me that why I like those twins moves. I think that Terry Ryan showed a veteran general manager's touch of he got good complimentary players. And he can't control really the health of Justin Morneau, which I think is you, you, no one can control because of the concussion stuff. And then Maurer, you know, I think Maurer can control his health. I just think he wasn't in shape for the start but, of the year because of his off-season knee surgery and it snowballed on him. The, the best way to put it with the Twins, though, is, is they're, they're skiing down the hill, and they're going in one direction. They don't have a choice because Correct. if you've got those contracts, Correct. you have to assume we are a contender based on these guys. Correct. And the, whereas, the, to me, I don't know that Dade Moore is giving you the confidence that the, that the front office of the Kansas City Royals knows – which complimentary guys to go out and get. But like it worked I'll, out in 2011 with Frank Cor and Cabrera. Cabrera. That improved their track record. But I'll say this. I don't know right now. I Here's my argument for 2012. I don't think 2012 is yet. 2012 is about figuring out which complimentary players you need. But because at some point, don't you want to start? You don't want to be the Pirates that always be building and building. You're, no, no, no. I'm saying. No, I'm I, saying. I think 2012 is a year for the Royals where they have to make some progress and learning to win games in the I, major I'm not league. disagreeing with you on that. But what I'm saying, though, is, is that if you And look, the way you do that is you bring in, you bring back Uni Betancourt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although I'll say this. For the Betancourt, which everyone – I thought Broxton for them was a very good move. That was a great move. So the two I, I, teams that you do top 30s on have made nice off-seasons as far as Broxton and then the, uh, the Reds getting Ryan Madsen. Pretty, oh, pretty good. the Ryan Madsen move is, is one that you, you it's hard to argue with. If you're, the, you know, if you're a Reds fan, you should be very happy right now. That was a pretty good move. But go back to the Royals. But the Royals, though, what I'm saying though, is I don't know yet, even with these complimentary players, you're generally talking about, if they're significant ones, you're talking about two, three-year deals. They don't know yet, I would argue, and I, I don't think they should know yet. Okay, what is the position? There's going to be somewhere out there where they're going to decide, you know what, we're going to go with the veteran. And right. maybe that's Frank Coor. Right. I don't think, if you're a Royals front office guy, I don't think it's time yet to say, Frank Coor's definitely Absolutely. the veteran no, guy. I agree with you in that. So what I'm they saying don't have to make those choices. They don't you're need right. to make those choices Good yet point. because this is not, to me, by 2013, you are making those choices. By 2013, you're saying, you know what? Giovatello, let's say, I mean, it may not be, but let's say, you know what, second base, that's where we're going to go, and we're going to bring in the veteran guy who can be better than Giovatello or Christian Colon. Maybe not, maybe it's not second. Or maybe they say, you know what, Escobar, as good as he is at shortstop defensively, he's just a minus offensively, so we're going to do it there. Or the move I think that they're definitely going to make at some point is, and they have to, is, and maybe they do it this offseason. Maybe, you know, Edwin Jackson's still out there or someone, but at some point, they have to say, okay, we're bringing in a frontline veteran 
essentially they make their Gil Mesh move again. Right. It's not going to be the best guy out there. We know that. Right. The Royals aren't. Edwin gonna... Jackson is almost like a, he's a better ver- version of Gil Mesh, but that's a pretty comparable right. guys. You know, in terms best, of their career. And the best way to put it again, well, we'll use the Braves analogy because again, so many of these Royals got in the Braves. It fits. They got to find their Charlie Lee brand. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. You know, they've got to find their guy. It's not the guy who if. If they're going to make the playoffs, this guy's not going to start game one for them of the playoffs because some of their guys have to develop into that guy. But the guy who's, you know, who, who gives up the home run in, uh, <laughs> to Kirby Puckett, they're going to have, they still have to have that guy. The guy that you're depending on as far as you know what you're going to get out of we're that gonna guy. Get, we're going to get 30 starts out of you. That's right. We're going to get 200 innings. You're going to pitch okay. That's it. I mean, really. You're going to be average to above average. The best way to put it is, is if they could sign Gil Mesh, if they could now, now to do what Gilmesh did the first couple of years he was there. That's what they're looking for. That is kind of what they're looking for. Another thing we haven't talked about, and then we'll wrap up the podcast, we haven't even mentioned Rick Knapp, which actually makes gives me more hope. I mean, I'm sure Rick Knapp is a minor league pitching coordinator who was with Minnesota, now at Kansas City. And let's and, face and it, had an, Detroit an, an interregnum as the major league pitching coach in Detroit. Let's face it, minor, we know more about minor league pitching coordinators who talk to us you know, than some, some organizations they don't. You know Mac Jenkins pretty well, and he's done a nice job in Cincinnati. And he just got promoted. He just got promoted. Nardi Contreras with the Yankees has uh, most more often than not been very open and talks loves to talk about their pitchers and promotes their pitchers. and And I think he's done a pretty nice job. Uh, you know, Ivan Nova's a nice product there. Phil Hughes, Jabba Chamberlain, Ian Kennedy, David Robertson. The Yankees have done some good things in terms of pitching development. Mm-hmm. Um, Rick Knapp was one of those guys who, when the when the uh, twins were basically churning out successful Brad Radke clones, whether they were left-handed like Glenn Perkins or right-handed like Nick Blackburn and Kevin Slowey and Scott Baker and whoever. Brian Dunsing's another left-handed example. When those guys were having big big league success, you could point to the fact that Rick Knapp been in that organization for like 13 years and had a pitching program, and the twins followed it, and they just and they rolled off the pitches. assembly line. And they've been worse since Nappy The reality left. Is, is when he left, since then, they have not produced pitchers now, like that. Now, part of the – I think you can blame part of that on their defense in the major leagues. They had a lot of pitch-to-contact guys and a lot of their defense at the major league level. We talked about their middle infielders not as good. Now Nappy is with the Royals, and I think he's a huge upgrade over Bill Fisher, who was way too old school. I know Mark Davis was the guy, but Bill Fisher uh, was the guy in Atlanta – when Dayton Moore was there, and if you go back and you want to look, there's a nice gap where the Braves stopped develop, developing pitchers, and that's when Bill Fisher was in charge of it. And then he was in charge of things in Kansas City. I think I'm more confident than it was the podcast last year or the year before, Jason. last year, I think. Where I thought I had, where I had zero confidence in the Royals' ability to get the most out of these pitchers. I have a lot more confidence now because I know Rick Knapp's track record. And, while, and I honestly think – that Rick Knapp was not a great fit in Detroit because they wanted to push those guys. But Detroit, Nappy was there for, you know, Justin Verlander in 2008 had a pretty bad year. Rick Knapp got that guy back on track to being the guy, the mm-hmm. dude. Uh, Jose Valverde is a difficult guy, but he ended up being pretty good in Detroit. I think Rick Knapp had something to do with his success in Detroit um, before being cast aside. And I think he's a great fit for the Royals where – We've seen this wave of hitting prospects get to the major leagues, and I think we know what we've got there. They need their pit, minor league pitchers to make that next step at the major league level and have a guy in Rick Knapp who knows what's worked in that division, and I think he knows how to develop minor league arms. And let's be quite clear about this. Two years ago, the Royals pitchers were moving at the same pace as the hitters. Right. They fell in behind 2000, last year. In the best way to put it, in 2011, 
the hitters sped up. Correct. They made them. They took that next step. That was Salvador needed. Perez sped up his timetable by. I mean, you could argue by two years. Yeah. Eric Hosmer sped up his timetable. He got there before Mike Mustakas. Right. Now, you know that you had guys. Johnny Giovatella sped up his timetable. Right. All those things. The pitchers. Mike Montgomery slowed his timetable. He did. John Lamb got hurt. His timetable's a you add a year, year and a half to it just on the rehab. Correct. Um, Odorizzi had a good year, but it wasn't a oppo year. Chris Dwyer slowed his timetable. You're, you've got quite more questions about him because, really, he He's took a step slow. back. He took a step back. Um, so, really, you can only – the guy and you could who say – Who was the Latin guy who took the huge step back who we saw Oh, in Robinson Yambadi. Yeah, that guy. Robinson Yambadi went from a top 15 prospect to uh, – he just lost it. I mean, I'm talking – He's hoping to find it again, but it, it. It, it disappeared. No, and so they, they, found, they, did find an, they found an injury. Okay. So that was a key thing is, is eventually they did find an injury. And I thought like, you were going to say that he, they found it in instructional league <laughs> and I was going to laugh. <laughs> but, yeah, no, they found an injury, which when a guy's that bad, being hurt is actually not a bad thing. Right, right. Because, well, at least you're hurt. I exactly. Mean, <laughs> when you're throwing BP on a – I mean, I'm not even talking good BP. You're when throwing you, BP in the app league. When you're throwing to the tune of, okay, how do I get my ERA under 20 – like an ERA of 22 is worse than an ERA of 99 or something like that. Because, like, his ERA was such like, ooh, you have to throw some innings to get that ERA. That's right. That's you right. Know? I mean, you, it was short enough It wasn't like, well, I got a one – I've got a one – was it 162.00? And it's like, oh, so you gave up a lot of runs and you pitched one-third of an inning. That's right. No, he pitched multiple starts and kept getting, you know – Kept getting lit, so yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I mean, so this is. The I'm a time. lot more optimistic at this time this year than I was at this, this time last the, year for the this Royals. This is the time where we're going to see. You know, uh, he, he's got. I'll put it this way: he, it's hard to have better clay than he's got to kind of mold there because. And, and what I'm thinking there's also, a lot of arms. And what I'm thinking also, JJ, is, to me, the Royals' gap between their farm system and everyone else in this division is probably bigger than it is in any other divisions. That's the thing. That's what I was trying to they, explain. They are with poised. This, like, I think, like you said, their window is really there. It's wide open because. They're in a division where there is no team. Like, you compare this to, like, we were talking about the Orioles in the last podcast. If you're the Orioles, yeah. even if you have a good farm system, you're, wow. in a, you're in a division where everyone else in the division has a good farm system. And, oh, yeah, by the way, they have more talent at the big league level. Yeah. In the Central, you can look around if you're the Royals. No one else has a good farm system. Right. Right. So what that means is, is okay, so then you say, okay, well, are these teams who are already good and will spend the money to basically cover over any of the flaws in their farm system? Tigers, you could say maybe yes. Yes. Okay, so you're going to worry about them. Twins aren't going to spend – the Twins, it's going to be – again, it's going to be the health of the guys who they already yeah. have there. I don't think they can spend a whole lot more. They're not going to spend enough to bring said, in another star. Their farm system, as we said – it could be a lot better in a year from now. We also should have mentioned when you're talking about stars, like the other star who kind of they need to come through is Francisco Liriano. He's the only guy who's got really a stuff, and mm-hmm. he was pretty bad in 2011 too. I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, the stud that he was before his Tommy John surgery. Right, but he's kind of look, he's kind of he, I think he's close to wearing Jose Maharis's uniform. I mean, he's he's just a bigger guy than he used to be. Jose Maharis now a uh, now a royal now a royal. A Rick Knapp. <laughs> it wasn't even a Rick Knapp favorite back in the day, but that might be a Rick Knapp special. But, you know, the the Indians aren't going to spend the money to make up for flaws in the farm system. Not likely. The team that should be the, the colossus of this division is the good guys, but they're not. But they have – I know that the Cubs are the bigger deal, but they're the – 
Yeah, they have. They're uh, a big market club. They're the biggest market club, and um, you know, and they have money and they spend money and they're willing to spend money only at the major league level. They, uh, we, Jim Callis and I do have a bet that this year they're going to spend ninety percent of their bonus allotment. I've got ninety percent or over, and Jim says under in the draft. And, and most people I've talked to think Jim is right, but I, I still think. They're going to spend that 90%. We'll see. Uh, it's going to be tough, but, but I think most people think that I'm, I'm, I'm wrong on that. It has gone, been a long podcast. We've gone a little long, but as we you know, are sometimes known to do. But, hey, it's a, it was a big division. And so. we both did teams in this top in, in this division. So a big division and a, and a lot to talk about. But if you uh, enjoy this, and you know, you can also check us out. We have our show on SiriusXM on Sunday nights at 7. Uh, I think it will be me and someone this week. That's right. Find who, Sirius who the, 209 and XM89. Yeah, uh, it's 7 p.m., uh, and then – We'll be back again. We've been hey, we're getting on a you know new year, more regular schedule here of the podcast. So we can try to make, try to make sure we do one every week. And of course, uh, coming in February, college baseball season starts. You get two a week. You get your college podcast every Monday with myself and, and that, Aaron Fitt. I feel confident saying with Fitzy going to be in the office, we will have a uh, college oh, yeah. preview podcast as well. I think a lot of things are coming in 2012 for Baseball America, so I'm excited about it. But for John Manuel, I'm JJ Cooper. Thanks for the download. We will see you again next week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.